And now we come to the last speaker this morning at this AA open meeting. And I'm very pleased to tell you that Joe is here from a comparatively unknown city in the East. I think they call it Brooklyn, and I think he has a few of his fans here this morning. Joe has been a member of AA for a long, long time. He told me as we came in this big hall this morning, Joe looked at this big stage, the sea of faces, the balconies. He says, you know, this is a big, big place, all right, but there's just one redeeming feature that we're not in that convention hall next door. <laughs> it's a real pleasure to introduce Joe of Brooklyn. Joe? <clears throat> My name is Joe. Now I'm allowed to holler. I'm from the Brooklyn Group of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, our leader said, I was a member of AA a long, long time, and I was surprised after listening to the speakers. Oh, I'm in eight and a half years. I'm the baby of this group. But I can assure you that I'm a better baby than I was a man. I, too, like Goalie, have my sponsor in the audience, and also the man that I consider my daddy in AA. I never had the pleasure of speaking before an audience such as this, and I can remember my first talk in AA simply because I didn't want to talk. I was president of our Russian Society of our church in our parish, and through the excessive use of alcohol, I withdrew from people, and I never called a meeting for a whole year because I didn't want to face people. And naturally, that was with me when I came into AA. So my speaker kept asking me to talk. So finally, I said, what have I got to talk about, John? And outside all my drinking was around my business. I happened to be a funeral director. And that's some business to drinking. So I just talk about one of myself, about my business, about an old Irishman in the neighborhood by the cemetery who the two sons couldn't get to stop drinking. So they thought that they would scare him and throw him into an open grave. So they tried it on a Sunday night. And we woke up Monday morning with this hangover. He looked around and he seen these familiar headstones. And he about knew where he was. But he looked into the open grave 
And he said, if I'm alive, what am I doing here? And if I'm dead, why do I have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> I came from a family who had <coughs> my brother, Jim, raised south in the neighborhood. We're still in this neighborhood. We've been in it in the voting district over a hundred years. He raised his house in it, got a nice business in it. But he lost it and died an alcoholic. And at the age of 17, he was then very active. At my age of 17, Jim was very active. And I had to go in the business and they put a high hat on me at 17. Directing funerals. And it's needless to say that business ran down. It ran down for six calls in one year. We lost everything. I sensed that I had a good father. And I took a hold of it. And at the age of 20, I had my own shop. Being that my brother was a drinker, I thought it was necessary to drink in my business. And that I continued to do. And I done a pretty good job with it. I drank around the clock at any hour, but I always managed never to go on a call with drink no, what the sign of drink. And my drinking I did after services. And I raised that business up from six calls to 317 in one year. I joined everything and anything that I could meet people. In fact, I was the only Irishman in a German singing society. financially. 
But this thing had such a hold on me, I didn't realize it. And at the age of about 33, it had taken over to where I put it first. I put it before the business that I like. I put it before my family and my children. And I went through three years without keeping a record. And that's when I like to think when I cross this so-called imaginary line that we speak of in AA. I was a fortunate alcoholic in this respect that I had a phobia against owing money. When I got paid for the work that I did, I would pay my bills. But what was left, I would spend. And I like to say now that we as alcoholics don't spend money. We throw it away. After this few years, by now my wife had left me when I stopped drinking. She could not put up with me. And the help that I had, the older help, the same thing prevailed. They couldn't put up with me. My daddy tells me I was a cutie. I hired young help, real young, that could go two and three and four days with me without going to bed while I drank. But the very thing that I built up, I now seem starting to fall down. People were saying, Joe is a nice fellow, but I'd like to have Joe, but he's no longer reliable. Joe, you used to take people out of their difficulties, but now you are putting them into it. Why don't you go away? I didn't want to go away. I was afraid that I was crazy. I settled that I was nuts. Because I could run a business, I could make a dollar, but I couldn't drink. So there must be something wrong with me. So going away to me wasn't the answer. I was afraid. All the things that we alcoholics get had already been in to me. These fears that we speak of, I was full of. So I wouldn't go. So finally, I gave in to Father Riley, and I went away to a health farm. And that's why we're so fortunate in AA to know through our stories from this platform 
that we can't lick it. Because if every guy tried to lick it, I did. Nobody was going to take that right away from me that I After going to Brown, I enjoyed three months' period of sobriety. I could get up to Brown, I could get through that walking exercises and the rub-downs and the massages and all this business, and I felt like a million dollars. When I come out of there, I felt, well, I don't want to bother thinking now, later on. And when I got three months, I couldn't get over it. I had to drink. After two years of going to Brown, one of the things set into my mind again <coughs> was that my drinking was caused by the course of my lack of education. First up at Brown, you met nothing but college graduates, all the big money people of the country. Now it's just plain Joe. And I said, I guess that's the reason I couldn't drink. I lacked education. And I settled that in my mind. And it took AA to get it out. Because I accepted this thing as a school. And I'll never forget the night I sat at the meeting when I said that to myself. I said, you blame your lack of education on your drinking. Accept this thing as a school or it's too confusing to you. And go eight years to grammar school, go four years to high school, go four years to college, take a postgraduate course, and by then you'll be dead. <laughs> and at least you'll die sober. See, that's the funny thing you say, die sober. You know, we won't convince ourselves we're an alcoholic. No. Me, I handle more death certificates. Cause of death. Chronic alcoholism. Acute alcoholism. Demented peacock. Pseudo-alcoholism. But that wasn't me. That was the poor guy. You could not penetrate this frame that I had trouble with liquor. So I went five years to Bill Brown. I made 20 trips there. And in these three months of sobriety was the first time I learned that I was making money. Because I was saving money when I was sober. We kind of tightened up after we were sober. And I was catching this money away, you know. And when the three months had come up, I'd have it in the safe deposit box. And getting drunk, I'd go up and I'd get it. And as I said before, we don't spend it, we throw it away. Whatever was there went. I got wise to that after a while, and I just drunk to come on me. So I'd go down in the cellar, and I'd take the key to the safe deposit box. I'd be half drunk, knowing that I'd go up to that safe deposit box. And knowing I didn't want to, that I'd get rid of that dough, I just stood down the cellar and I'd half drunk, turn the key around and turn it around and then feed it. (laughs) 
And I couldn't find it then until I got sober. And that cellar never got such a nice cleaning, I can assure you that. So after these five years of Bill Brown, I kind of sensed that I did have a problem. Here I was on the way back, doing nice, and in these times of sobriety, it was good morning, Mr. Duffy. You look good, Mr. Duffy. Uh, I like that, you know. The other way, look good for him. What if you going to get sober, you know? I don't like that kind of stuff, but that's what was happening. So finally our medical examiner came in to the city of Brooklyn, and he said, Joe, why don't you try God? What do you mean? I'm a fairly good Catholic. Oh, I don't mean it that way, he said. Give of yourself and bring him to church and talk to God. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, I did tell the priest that worked with me seven years, who, by the way, one night put me in the hospital, and thanks to God, I punched him in the nose. Yeah, those are the things we do. So he said to me, well, Joe, maybe he has something. Get on your knees and make a promise to the Blessed Mother, drunk or sober, that they go to communion once a month. So that I did. And the third month again, I went drinking. I couldn't get over that third month. That's like a lot of the guys that slip can't get over the third month. I know. So anyway, I went to confession, and uh, he said to me, Knowing you as I know you, I know that you'll go to the altar ale in the morning. I did. And from that point on, I got nine months period to sobriety. And after the ninth month, being that I hung out with drinking people, and liked drinking people, and associated with drinking people, I wanted to be with them. So the only way I could get with them was drink with them. So back again I'd go and I'd drink. After nine months. And now I had reached the stage in my drink and in this progression of where I was a common nuisance. I wasn't wanted. So I used to have to pay for my company. So I should accumulate a little dough in these nine months, you know. And, uh, I'd just go down and all the dives and pick up the unfortunate, six of them, five of them, anybody that listens to my book. Drive with me for a day, two days, three days, take them up to the country. Needless to say, when I went up, the wife had to go out. It was just a drinking bottle. But I got that I didn't like that. And just three years prior to coming into AA, I decided that the first drink threw me. I'm one of the ones that knew the first drink threw me. Now, I said, if I can stay away from the first drink, I'm made. I won't think it will, because I want it to stop drinking. So I got it into my head, if I could get a year, I'd be made. And I tried awfully hard, but I couldn't get over the ninth month. 
I was now in the hospital stage. I was making the hospital. I was sick. I got into begging for whiskey. And I needed medication. So I seen my sponsor, who I thought was dry 18 months. He set it out of the street. But he didn't tell me at the time because I didn't hear him. I thought it was 18. And I said, Jack, what's keeping you sober? He's in our neighborhood. He said, Joe, I've joined AA. I said, not for me. Knowing nothing about it. But I said to him, yes, the fact that I can't drink. There's no reason why the other fellow can't drink. He said, Joe, that's exactly how AA works. Oh, I said, they're not reformers. He said, no. Well, I said, all right, the next time I get drunk, I'll look you up. <laughs> Knowing that I was going to get drunk again. Always afraid of that next drunk. Always afraid of it. So thank God I did. We had one awful job getting me into the hospital. And when I come out of the hospital, the day that I come out, Dr. Silkworth, Robert Goodwill, I try to talk with him. And uh, he convinced me that there was no religion in AA. Well, that I liked. I, mean, I was fighting with him. Yeah, I was afraid. But I understood it was worse than the people that visited Nicobaca Hospital. So, when I went out, I said, now you're sure, doctor, there's no religion in it. I don't want to get mixed up in any religion. I'm satisfied with my own religion. He said, you can rest assured of that. I said, all right. So, in my confused mind, that night they closed the meeting, which we in our business figured was the Protestant part of the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. That's all a Protestant outfit. I don't belong to you. So, I again closed my mind. I said, I don't belong here, but I'm going to see what's keeping these guys sober. So I went to my daddy and I said to him, how long are you sober? He said, four years. I said, no, no kidding, without a drink. He said, yes, without a drink. Oh, what's How long are you sober? He said, oh, a little over three years. Now, no kidding, without a drink? Yes. Yeah. How long are you sober? Three months, oh. I don't want you. I wanted these guys that were a year. So I stuck around, and for 11 months, I might tell you one little thought again, you don't have too much time here. But I was in five months, and I got a terrific case of dry theater. I was one of the of my business, I didn't want people at all to get alcoholics anonymous. So I respected the anonymity part. I couldn't pronounce that word without me. I uh, respected the anonymity part of the program. And I just wanted to go to my meetings, and that's all, period. Although we have 17 in Brooklyn. So I get this terrific case of dry theater. 
And Helen said to me, Lord of she said, Joe, why don't you call up the sponsor, like they say at these meetings? That's why I said to take the non-alcoholics to meetings. And uh, I said, oh, shut up, leave me alone, how do you like But it didn't work that way, okay? I was still nervous. So I called up Jack, and he took me to a meeting that night. But for some unknown reason, I come home feeling good. Well, I said, the hell with the anonymity. If it works that way, I want it. Okay? But I did, here's what I found out. Why I drank when I didn't want it to. It took me a little time. It took me to go constantly to meetings. The lift concrete opened up. And finally, after taking the steps, I found out the things that was within me that I didn't want to admit was to look in the mirror at myself and say, Joe, is there any jealousy in you? Yes, there is. Is there any hatred in you? Yes, there is. Is there any envy in you? Yes, there is. Dishonesty? Yes. I had to tell myself. After I told myself, I told them to other people. Because I discussed them. I brought them out into the light. And then I was aware of them myself. And instead of them throwing me, I used them constructively. Where before they threw me those four. Today I still have them, I'm still the same Joe Duffy. I know it today, because I found out the meaning of shortcoming, which I didn't know, which is in our seventh step. And I heard of a meeting one night, a man said the meaning of shortcomings was lack of. And I said, what do you lack, Duffy? I lack the very teachings of my church. I lack patience. I lack charity. I always thought charity was putting your hand in your pocket and handing out some dough, getting your name on a civic list for a hundred or two hundred. That was ego. Charity is in giving of yourself. And AA offered me that opportunity without any angle. Humility, humility was simply to become teachable, to listen, to learn, not know at all, meekness and mildness. Those are the things that I lack. They have brought me back that today I enjoy life. The fears that I had, the greatest part of them are gone. And for one thing today, time passes. I know what I'm doing. And I'm not too much interested in the material things of life. I'm interested in living.
as they taught me, live and let live. And the feeling that I have is beautiful. I used to say when they'd say in AA, this is a beautiful life. I'd say, what's so beautiful about sitting on your chair here for an hour? That's what I used to say. But it opened up. And I can say to you that an alcoholic without AA is like a man without a country. Thank you. at the beginning, and I'm sorry, but perhaps there are some people here today who didn't hear them made yesterday, and we learn in AA that repetition is a good thing. So if there are any members of the press here present, we ask that they respect the anonymity of the, our AA speakers and do not print their, for their name. The opinions expressed here are, of course, the opinions of the individual and not of AA as a whole. Luncheons and dinners will be served in cafeterias downstairs. The meals will be hot and moderately priced. Lunch counters and snack bars are open around the promenade. I'm sure you've all seen them. Tape recordings are being made of all meetings. And if any of you wish a tape recording of a meeting, will you leave your order at Room, committee room B, it's con marked convention headquarters. We want to have some idea of how many people want them before we'll be able to fix the price. <coughs> and now, I want to thank Oscar and Neely and Ollie and Joe for this wonderful AA meeting and will those who care to join and we will say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And be us not the temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory.